America's symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to my world. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer, the greatest professional wrestler of all time, your friend and mine, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Jeff, how are you, man? Oh, Connie, Conrad, how are we doing today, pal? It, uh, I don't even know where to start, Conrad, but uh, looking forward to doing a deep dive um, uh, on this episode. I don't even know if we titled this yet because I've got a bone to pick with you as we get into the notes, but that's neither here nor there. You know, we don't have football. Um, it feels like we haven't had any groundbreaking, earth-shattering wrestling news in the last seven days. So if we have to rehash or, I don't know, latest developments, kind of feels a, a little bit of calm in the wrestling world. Uh, baseball's cranking up. <sighs> WrestleQuest, I'll give you another update in a couple of weeks. I will not bombard you with all that kind of updates today. But uh, been busy. Went down to Rome, Georgia, and watched my daughter play basketball. They won their first round game in the tournaments go back, uh, this Saturday for the semifinals and finals. Uh, so, uh, life is good. Life is busy. Um, don't really know Conrad, um, without football, do we still have the right to just bust on a bus? Yes. Yeah. That's kind of what I was going with. I mean, the, the door's still open there, right? I mean, that's what I miss more than anything is busting on Chris Park. I mean, that was way more fun than watching people throw the pigskin around. Well, you know, I thought about this. That he, I think he, he's why option 1A, but maybe mm. 1B could be that old half-baked. Uh, I mean, back in the TNA days, and we'll just talk about the TNA days, that guy, uh, Rudy, I forget his name. He was a ham in there. Rudy Charles, Rudy Charles. Have you ever seen a worse ref uh, than him, Conrad? Than Rudy Charles? Yeah. yeah there's, a, there's a couple on TV every week, but I won't name names. <laughs> you know exactly who I'm talking about, too. Oh, would you stop? But it'd be rude to say that. Uh, let's let's talk about some good news. Go ahead. Yeah, we won't lump them together. Uh, you, go ahead. You got back in the swing of things. No, I don't know if there was a paperwork mix up or what, <laughs> but for the first time in four months, he wrestled on TV. Oh. I mean, I don't know if you were back there in the Eric Bischoff position <laughs> catering this <laughs> time or what was going on, but dude, you got on TV, but damn it. The dark order let you down. I mean, there's yeah. no way that you and Sottenham and Jay lethal would have lost that fall. No chance. A zero chance. Yes. Zero. And that's a Photoshop. If you're watching with us over on YouTube, I have it on good authority that Jeff Jarrett gave him a guitar necklace, but you know, notice that the fix is in with Marcus here. He didn't have a screen grab of that. No, he's, he's yeah. got this Photoshop that Silva worked up or something. Cause you've never even been in a prone position like that. I don't, no, I don't sir. remember ever seeing you count the lights. Not one time. Well, Marcus is, he's getting paid off probably by ref Aubrey or some shenanigans. It's just, don't you have a, a shot of me giving somebody a stroke? I mean, a legal one, two, three, it was over. And referee looked the other way. I don't know if you, did they edit that out? I'm not sure what they did edit and edit it out. I don't know. Thankfully uh, we've got a little backup. Uh, your friend and mine, 
Man, there's a whole fun Twitter account out there of just playing your greatest hits. You're just cracking people upside their dome piece one after another. Uh, is, that, is that Twitter account the, the gift that keeps on giving or what? It's uh, JJ's Greatest Guitar Shots. Is that right, Con uh, uh, Marcus? Uh, JJ's Greatest Hits. Great oh, my gosh. I can't. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. You're going to have to. Uh, oh, we'll, we'll look it up. Conrad, will you help me out here? I think it's at jj's greatest at jj guitar shots i mean what we that's what we needed we needed somebody to go back and take a look at all your greatest hits and it's now we've got it so quick plug there for that fun uh twitter account we'll make sure that we uh, throw some love on our twitter as well we uh we're home stretching it man sting's retirement is right around the corner. I can't believe this is real. Uh, we saw Darby Allen come out and cut a big time shoot promo on the young bucks to close, uh, dynamite this past week. And now we know that we've just got one set of tapings and then one set for the go home here in Huntsville, Alabama. And then we're finally in Greensboro, a handful of tickets remain. They're going to be over 16,000. Ain't no doubt about it. In the meantime, though, Dynamite this week, we've got FTR taking on uh, BCC. We got Samoa Joe in there as well. How about Swerve and Brian Cage and Hook? I mean, there's a lot of Hangman and RVD. I mean, RVD coming back. How about this that? Is a loaded damn card, and it's going down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tickets are on sale now, AEWTIX.com. Collision is going to be back on track. Of course, they were preempted by the uh, all-star game this past week, but Thunder Rosa and Serena Deeb are going to be in action. Brian Danielson going to be uh, taking on Akiyama. Boy, we're, we're putting together some dream matches lately in AEW. And then next week, it's my turn. You guys are coming to Huntsville, Alabama. I'm excited to see uh, man versus food part 42. It's going to be a good day. <laughs> are you, are you, you going to meet me at catering? Cause look, you got to strategically head indicator and you got to get there early enough where I do a partner, Jay lethal sometimes marvels at me and we kind of line things up, but you gotta, you gotta get there early so you can, you know, space your meals out right at that three hour mark and boom, you got to come on strong. And if you find out that you're not doing any in-ring work, you kind of catch right before showtime, Connie, and you know, you just kind of graze back in there, if that makes sense to you. So I'm hoping that you can attend. I uh, hope your uh, your boy uh, Casio might uh, show up. I just want to keep my hands away from him because he'll take his head and jaw and cheek. He loves to throw his cheek right at my hand. So it's unfair, I, really. I mean, you ought to consider litigation. Well, and I'm coming into his backyard, his hometown, and he just doesn't show the right kind of hospitality. Like you, Conrad, you're like, come on over here, kind sir. Would you like to go to G's and and uh, we'll maybe get a meet and three, uh, or or you know, we'll Longhorn, whatever it may be. No, nope, not Casio. He's got to walk in, order as usual, seventeen yep. colors of liquor, sugar, <laughs> sugar and liquor mixed together. He gets two or three of those, and then he'll order him. I don't know, Conrad. It's how long you've been friends with him too long you know i mean i was expecting for him to come in he would have given you the type of entrance you deserve the coming to america we need someone in front singing someone throwing rose petals none of that 
uh he's good if he's not careful he's gonna get a guitar necklace in huntsville alabama i'm just here to tell you conrad just then i don't say this for clickbait but did you see the super bowl and i know there's a tragedy that happened right after it but did you see the parade uh i, I only saw the the tragedy i didn't see much of the actual parade travis kelsey singing garth brooks friends in both places miss that google it i'll just say that <laughs> well i uh I've had some other people in my ear telling me recently that Travis Kelsey may have been a bad influence on old Tay Tay. Oh, you, you may have to, uh, step in as a bonus dad or something there for her. Yep. Turn, uh, turn that around. Might get grounded. She, she may be. Yep. If she has to clean the leaves out of the pool with Cody this summer, that'd be tremendous. Uh, guess what Cody's favorite theme music is currently swerve. He's it'll come back around to that. Cause he can do the swerve dance like no other, but he's into, uh, the EVPs, Matt and Nick. Oh, okay. Have you heard that? Um, I don't know if I've heard the new one. You would, you would know the, um, the vibe that it's given off. Cause it's comes from one of your favorite shows or it certainly appears like that. Well, let me, uh, let me say that. And, and maybe I'm, I'm oversharing and I shouldn't be, but have you heard Sting's new theme? You know what? I saw a Twitter blurt. No, I haven't. It's good. Is it? Yeah. Love it. But you just, you buried the lead there. My man, Cody knows the swerve dance. Oh, have what you do we got, what do we got to do to get him on here doing the swerve? Have dance? you never seen? I will next Wednesday. I hope he's coming to TV, right? He oh, makes you get me. Have you seriously, have you never seen codes do the swerve dance? No, I, no. I've seen you and Eric do it. You know, as we're recording this, we're celebrating a national holiday. We, <gasps> He's available right now. <laughs> if you could, while I'm doing one of the ad reads, if you could arrange a run in, boy, that'd be something special. <laughs> Can we get music? Do I need to play the music? I'll just have him bring the music. He's got the music. Yeah. Well, I just, we'll put it in the mic. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, we don't even need that. We can add that in post. Don't worry. We, we need him to do his thing. You don't worry about the audio. We'll make that happen. Okay. All right. All right. That's, that's a deal. I mean, oh boy. <laughs> Dude, it's unbelievable. And so is the card that they have built for revolution. If you haven't already go ahead and make plans to join them on pay-per-view tickets are on sale a handful. AEWTIX.com. I'll be watching on pay-per-view. It looks like it's going to be Darby and sting taking on uh, the young bucks. And Sting is an AEW champion. Will he retire undefeated? Stay tuned. Samoa Joe will be defending the AEW title against not just Swerve Strickland, but Hangman Adam Page. Uh, Eddie Kingston will be defending the Continental Crown against Brian Danielson. And Will Ospreay will be taking on Takeshita. It is a loaded doggone card. And we are pumped that uh, you get to be a big part of it, Jeff. Speaking of being a big part of things, we should give a little plug. You guys are about to embark on in just a couple of weeks. Now, a big tour of Canada on March 16th. You'll be in Ottawa on the 20th. You'll be in Toronto on the 27th in Quebec city on March 30th, London, Ontario on April 10th, Winnipeg, Manitoba on May 8th. This is just announced Edmonton. And how about Vancouver getting a little love on May the 11th. Man, just a ton of Canadian dates now officially on the schedule. How pumped are you to be back in Canada? 
you know what's very very cool is uh kind of in my day job i'm uh working in the peripheral of all this uh but the owen hart foundation obviously which is near and dear to my heart uh they're getting engaged and hey, look the, the owen hart cup and everything that went with that the last gosh two years now uh, but now just, you know, uh, running the entire tour, coast to coast, Vancouver, a, a new market, London, new market. It's pretty cool, Conrad. And, um, you know, I've always uh, been fond of our friends north of the border and their legit affinity for professional wrestling. Um, TNA days were good. Canada was good to us. Uh, obviously dating way, way, way back. 94 was the first time I was there. But, uh, yeah, from coast to coast, uh, the Canadian fans come out loud and proud. So I am, I am looking forward to those shows. We're also looking forward to today's topic, man. We have, uh, been talking about WCW at the end for quite a while, and we are going to, uh, hit it hard here. Uh, but before we do, I want to talk about something we just recently debuted over on adfreeshows.com. Oh Yeah. Jeff, it's a brand new series over at adfreeshows.com with the beer and the drinking and the, and the cane swinging. It's the ECW legend himself, the Sandman. That's right. The Sandman is now on adfreeshows.com. He's an incredible storyteller. He is pulling absolutely no punches and he is one of the iconic characters in ECW history and lore. And, uh, we have a little clip here from episode one. Sandman is going to talk about some of the hardcore legends that he took inspiration from. Let's play that clip right now. All these promos got cut dude, like early morning. And I always went last because I like to watch everybody else's sure. promo. You know what I mean? So I would sit around, I'm partying, you know, all back in them days, you know, you know, all the kind of party materials that were around. So so, yeah, you would just hang out with your friends. Hey, what's up? Hey, it's your turn. Go cut a promo. Your that's turn. Awesome. Go cut a promo, you know? And that's how I would learn. Dude, I got to watch, like, think about these dudes. I got to watch, like, Terry Funk. I got mm -hmm. to watch Cactus Shack. I got to watch Shane Douglas. Dude, those three guys, the promos that those three guys could just cut. Dude, I got, like, goosebumps right now because I learned so much then. Not so much how to do a promo because my character was, I always thought that the less that I said was better. I'm a right. violent dude. You know what I mean? I'm a dude to bar. I'm not going to cut a promo on you. I'm going to beat you over there with the, with a pull kill. Right. You know what I, mean? I learned from those guys. I learned so much by just sitting around and watching them. There you go. Inner Sandman is live now. Episode one is up at adfreeshows.com. We got a ton of other bonus content too, like Lex Express with Lex Luger. We're going to be doing it live this Saturday morning, just hours after Elimination Chamber. And you can be on live on video and ask Lex a question. We've also just dropped the book with David Crockett, where we break down February of 1986, the biggest year in Jim Crockett promotions history. Every single Tuesday, we sit down with Kevin Sullivan for something we call Tuesdays with the Taskmaster. Monday mailbag alternates. Some weeks it's Mike Kyoto, The other week it'll be Nick Patrick. No matter what you're looking for, we got it. All this and more at adfreeshows.com. And uh, we've got uh, a poll about what topics we are going to be looking for in the future. In the past, we have always used our polling function over on Twitter. Now we're going to be utilizing our polling function on YouTube. So if you haven't already, be sure to, uh, hit us up on YouTube 
that's 83 weeks on youtube.com. And, uh, you can see, you know, what we're going to be talking about next and drop some questions and the whole deal all in our community side of our YouTube page. That's my world on youtube.com. Jeff, what right. story? before we get into, did you know the Sandman worked Memphis? Have I ever told you? I did. You? I did. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you haven't told I, me the story about it, but I, I've seen a uh, clip. Couple different stories, but you know, um, gosh, what year was that? That had to be 88, 80. I was, I mean, I, yeah, I was, I was, I was, a, I felt like a kid kid. And I just remember him coming in, but the Sandman in Memphis is not the Sandman of ECW. He no. carried a surfboard. Like that's the sand. That, that's the type kind of surfer board. He, he, he was there in uh 91 and 92. Okay. Yeah. But, but, uh, oh uh, yeah. I mean, there's a surfer boy sting and there's a surfer boy Sandman, but yeah, that's, that's the first time I met brother James, but, uh, I think he was calling himself Mr. Sandman back then. Well, okay. Maybe I mean, it's a little different, but he was wearing a wetsuit and carrying a freaking surfboard. I was going to say he wrestled in a wetsuit and I think that dude has got to be sweating his ass off in that thing. But when you, you know, I don't say years. Have later. you worn a wetsuit before? Oh yeah. For anything. Okay. So. I'm just in, curious in the, lake, in the lake though. Like when you go in March, it's, it's especially way back in the day when I'd slalom ski, you definitely put one on. Cause you, we try to try to ski gosh, in early March when the water is for a reason, <laughs> it's hard to get off and on. Does it restrict your movement? Not really. Okay. Not really. So it, it just, it just makes you sweat. I mean, it can't like, breathe. It's not breathable. So you're sweating, but you can still move around. Yeah, it's super skin tight. It's super skin tight. I only asked because I've never uh, worn a wetsuit, but I was like, you know, I've seen guys wrestle in like cowboy boots and jeans. And sometimes I'm like, man, that's got to be. Yeah. It can't give you the same sort of movement and freedom that, right? Am I wrong on that? I was never a big fan of like you'd have to do the bunkhouse brawls or street fights and do them in jeans. And then some, you know, yeah, many times I've wrestled in uh, cowboy boots. It's just, it's just different. Yeah. You, I, I was never really a big fan of that, but old Sandman working in those, that wetsuit and uh, carrying the surfboard. And then years later when I like, that can't be the same Sandman. Yep. That is the Sandman bashing the bear on his head and the cane and people going ballistic. And anyway, it was, uh, as characters evolve, so goes the business. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Let's, uh, let's jump into, uh, what we're talking about today, the business. 
and uh, all that was WCW in 2001. We're going to call it the Magnificent Seven. It was formed and led by the on-screen CEO of WCW at the time, Ric Flair. And this was from January to March of 2001. This group, the Magnificent Seven, included Scott Steiner, his valet Medasia, the United States champion Rick Steiner, Jeff Jarrett, Lex Luger, Buff Bagwell, and Road Warrior Animal. Man, what a crazy group of folks that is. That's quite a faction there. Diving back into this, Conrad, and and look to to pull to to pull back just a little bit, especially maybe I'll say, yeah, new listeners or, or or younger listeners probably better said than that. So WCW closed in March of 2001. So this is the last 90 days of the company. Of course, at the time, Conrad, and that's why I was going to ask you as we kind of dove into this. I'm sure you've covered this with Shivani and Eric, multiple uh, layers and. I don't even know. Yeah, probably Bruce from the other side. But the average, like, do you even remember it, the Magnificent Seven, like that being on TV? Not I was, I, I was going to say, I was in it and don't really remember uh, as we kind of dove into the notes and, and, and all this. I remember us as a group and it was kind of loosely together and uh, Flair doing his promo and, and all that. But these times, and this is what I, this is the one question I want to ask you. When would the, even the, the remote, when would the rumors or the, 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 the chatter start going that, Hey man, fish off my bike by this thing. Cause, or, or am I know my dad had come to me and they were trying to do some due diligence. When did all that chatter start? Was it in 2000 or just, it didn't start till early 2001. No, it was in 2000. There was conversation about all that happening in 2000. And then we know in 2001, it started to really heat up and then no more. Yeah. Um, but I'm with you. I did not remember the name of this faction. I mean, okay. I remember, I mean, when Sabato first said, Hey, what about the magnificent seven? I'm thinking, all right, was that the university of Michigan? No, that was the fab five. Was that the, no, no. And so then it's like, all right, I don't, I don't really know what we're talking about there. And then it, and then he cl it clicked and I was like, oh wait, okay. I kind of remember that. I did the exact oh. same thing. Yes. Yes. Because, and, and I'll be honest, it makes me happy to hear that you felt that way too. I was in it. So much of this was forgettable for us fans. And clearly it was for the talent as well. Well, so, uh, and I, I, like, I, I, re I read the notes and then I kind of go back uh, and, and, and really do a, you know, I'll call it a deep dive on this. And so last night I, I did my kind of first pass through. And then this morning at the gym, kind of looking back into it, I started thinking about, oh yeah, I did, we did that. And we did that. And we did that. But the overall vibe was, Hey, this creative that's being done is obviously the long play because you wouldn't say, Hey, um, I'm going to do this angle with flair and dusty and we're going to get to that. It's a lot of fun. And, and, uh, yes, flair and dusty for the very first time on pay-per-view didn't happen until 2001. We'll get to that in a minute, but just doing the deep dive on it, we were all executing this creative and had no idea where it was going, but knew it was, or assumed this is going for the new owners. Right. But that, that, that this was, um, the true, 
not the beginning of the end, the end of the end of WCW as we knew it, but there was going to be a new WCW. So we, we did all of this with that in the back of our mind. And to say that it probably wasn't, this is one of the most bizarre times because we didn't ask questions because we kind of knew that we certainly didn't have any answers, but man, maybe Bischoff and um, what was the name of the company? Cause I always kind of fit um, something Fusion media. Fusion media. Like, okay, wh where, what are they looking at? So there was a little impetus of the political side of things like, all right, what's really going on here? So anyway, I thought I just set that, that I don't recall the magnificent, but the creative I remember and just not really sharing where any of this was going. And, and I guess at this point in my WCW second run, I was enjoying the ride as much as I possibly could. Cause I damn sure didn't know where things were headed. Well, so now that we've sort of got the, uh, the table set, let's, uh, pick up at the very beginning of this story, I suppose it's the sin pay-per-view and this went down in January of 2001, January 14th. Normally that's the sold out month, but here we're going to do sin. Scott Steiner is defending his big gold belt. It's a four-way match that includes Sid vicious, Jeff Jarrett, and an unnamed wrestler flair would insert road warrior animal as the mystery man and is recruiting Jarrett so Steiner could keep the title. But of course, none of that was needed because something horrible happened. You were in the ring when Sid tried to jump off the top rope and do the big kick. And boy, it was brutal. Um, Meltzer would say the original plan was for Sid to make a comeback, have Steiner up for the choke slam. When the mystery man would come down, everyone would freeze. And the guy would tell Sid to choke slam Steiner. But when he did, he'd turn on Sid and do something that would allow Steiner to make the pin. Even with that original plan, it was animal who's 41. And he was the big surprise. Another name from the eighties and a company that desperately needs to reinvent itself from its current perception as a company featuring outdated talent on top. The match itself we're talking about only went seven minutes and 53 seconds. Meltzer would say the show was going very long at this point. Well, I guess some other segments had gone long. So the match consisted of them double teaming on Sid and Sid making the most pathetic comes back comebacks. He did a double suplex, nearly killed Jeff Jarrett in the process, dropping him on his head. Sid chokeslammed Jarrett, but Steiner saved flares, music plays and the mystery man came out. But by this time, Sid had broken his leg. And was on the ground immobile. The mystery man weakly attacked Sid and had Steiner pin him and then unmasked his animal. Negative two stars. Man, it's one of the ugliest main events in wrestling history. It's the exact opposite of what WCW needed in January 2001. But as we learned in the Forrest Gump movie, shit happens. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Is this the most brutal injury you were in the ring to see? And what do you remember of that day? So Connie, where was your fandom at during this time? Had you checked out? No, I was still casually watching. I did not get this pay-per-view, 
but yeah. I was still keeping up. I knew what was going on. Uh, I wasn't ordering every pay-per-view every month for WCW. I still was probably watching them all for the WWF. And I think I watched ECW that month in their last pay-per-view, but that's, that's probably it. I did make the decision that month though. I'm going to watch the ECW pay-per-view and I'm going to watch the Royal rumble. I'm going to lay out a sin. I don't regret it, but man, when I tuned in the nitro the next night and they're showing that leg flopping around, woof, it's a visual I'll never forget. And I just saw it on TV. Yeah. Well, so either Sid, uh, clothesline me out or butt me out. I was outside the ring. Yeah. If I remember correctly. So I, I took a bump out on hard camera side and I was looking away from the ring. And I remember the spot that was supposed to come up that Sid was going to back in the, back himself in the corner, hop up. And I know that him and, uh, Laurinaitis had had discussions on, if I remember correctly, I don't say there was just discussion on how we got into that spot. I'm sure Steiner was a part of it and all this, but it was okay. Here's the spot that led to whatever. And I can remember just the, the gasp because yeah. I didn't see it. Uh, but, but just the gasp. But when I kind of looked up in the ring and you saw his, I'll call it his thigh and his kneecap going one way and his ankle going, floppingly the other way i just turned my head and i went oh boy and i knew that i didn't i wasn't supposed to come back in the ring until a couple of other things that were supposed to happen and uh, man i'm sure we're gonna have the clip and uh, again so I, I may not have a have a little bit of, of a uh, foggy memory but i just remember steiner like having to kind of lay the boots to Sid. And I think animal, uh, was like, what the hell are we? It was, yes, it was a complete disaster in every stretch of the imagination thinking we got to get this damn thing over with. And if I remember correctly, Scott pinned Sid. And in the process, he pulled his leg to uh, hook the leg for the one, two, three. It was, it was, it was a mess. I mean, just an absolute mess. And, and the one thing I do remember the next day uh, at, at Nitro, they were talking. They're like, hey, Jeff, you want to come see it? And I'm like, hell no, I don't want to come see this damn thing. Um, yeah, I'm not into uh, watching stuff like that. Uh, not even one time, let alone multiple times. But yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was a mess. And Scotty was right in the middle. It, it was it was bad. It was a bad. You never want to see anybody go down like that. And that took Sid years to, to kind of three and a half years before he was in a ring again. Yeah. It was a bad one. He only did uh 24 more matches after this, never for a major promotion. Um, but wow. yeah, three and a half years before he was ever doing anything in the ring again, Yeah, at least according to cagematch.net. Yeah, no, he's bad. Uh, this is from the observer Bischoff told wrestlers the next day that they found out vicious had a broken back that he didn't even know about vicious was in incredible pain and his lower leg actually had to be held in place to keep it from flopping sideways. Yep. But forgetting about the injury, it's one thing to have a bad main event in the ring that draws money. Although past experience shows that ultimately hurts in the long run. It's another to have one even worse that doesn't. So he's pretty critical of the creative 
but I'm sure nobody was thinking about the creative afterwards. Everybody was worrying about Sid. I mean, this was maybe the most gruesome injury I ever saw in wrestling. Now that I think about it, it's, I mean, it's definitely, um, I mean, I hate to even bring it up. I mean, you know, the, the, the Owen situation. Yeah. Tra tragic, but is, you know, necks and arms and legs. And it'd be, I, I don't recall one, certainly that I was involved with, but, um, Hey, I was just, as you were saying that, so who was booking or writing? Was it, and I know that, that, uh, I, you know, Eric was running point. Was it, was it the committee? I know Ed Farrar was a part of it. Do you, do you know who the team was? I I'm under the impression that this was a constantly evolving team. Yeah. You know, I think like, so. like at this point, people are trying to just keep the train on the tracks and not make any crazy moves is, yeah. is the word that I've gotten over the years, but we know that the Bischoff is helping with creative, but he's not like, I don't remember him being in the nuts and bolts. I remember on a flight, maybe a week before this, or I don't know before it all that, that, uh, me and Sid and Johnny were all in first and, and kind of having a conversation just about it. But that's what made me start thinking was Nash in there was Ed Farrar, Terry Taylor, uh, Bill Banks. I'm just trying to think of, of the committee, if you will, that was really under Eric's direction. That was my impression. I just don't remember who all the co committee was. And this is also sort of the right, this era is the rise of prominence of Johnny Laurinaitis in a backstage role here in America for That's sure here in WCW for sure. Um, man, I don't know how we move on from talking about Sid and his leg flopping around like that. I mean, that's, I mean, you really witnessed the end of a guy's career and you have, you have to say flop. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, I don't want my career to end and I don't want to be flopping around. That's why I need to study some hard times from blue chew. There are a sponsor this week and every week. If you haven't tried it already, what are you waiting for? Blue chew is a unique online service that has the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis and Levitra, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost, take these dudes anytime day or night. So you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process is super simple. You sign up at bluechew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part, man, it's all done online. That means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversation and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Bluechew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package, but there won't be anything discreet about your package. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. So discover your options at bluechew.com. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code MYWORLD at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is MYWORLD and you'll receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we want to thank Blue Chew for sponsoring today's podcast. Conrad? So, yes, sir. You know, one of my favorite Blue Chew reads, if you will, is you and Mick, a hot tag <laughs> for your wiener. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Brother's getting back in shape. Man, he did his first workout, did his first weigh-in. He's already down a few pounds, and it's he's trying to get down to 275 pounds. I think uh, mixed last match might have some legs, Jeff. Uh, I was going to say the Conrad motivation uh, is beginning to rear its uh, beautiful face. I'll say that. But when I saw that first workout, he's planking. I'm like, God bless him. God bless him. going to be interesting, so. Yeah, it will. I think there's a few um, Bluetooth reads left in his life. How about that? <laughs> the next night on Nitro, uh, Flair is going to reveal this was all a plan, and he's announcing a creation of the stable, which he's calling the Elite. <clears throat> yeah. Flair <laughs> did that in 2001. That prompted the Insiders. It's not the Outsiders. You see, that was Hall of Nash. This is the Insiders. That's Nash and DDP and Rick Steiner. They're all going to come out and confront the group as Nash is challenging Scott Steiner to a title match. WCW's commissioner at the time, Ernest Miller comes out and books the title match, which ends in a disqualification because both sides interfered. But yeah, how about that? What could have been the elite? Maybe that rather than the magnificent seven, the elite, you, I mean, here we are joking week in, week out about how you inserted yourself in the four horsemen. And you inserted yourself in the bullet club and you inserted yourself in the NWO and you inserted yourself in the click. And now to find out after all that, you were also one of the founding members of the elite. How about that? You never knew. Did you? I H didn't know. I H mean, I H and big Papa and, 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 uh, the list goes on and on, but I would love to know and go back. Why didn't they stick with the elite? The Magnificent Seven kind of shoehorns us into seven guys. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's funny. interesting. And, and I can't wait to hear next week how you really created DX. Oh, no, 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 no. That's on the schedule. That, I don't think that's till uh, May. October. Okay. Yeah, I think we're going to get to it in May. So the opening segment uh, for the Nitro that went down on the 15th is just the, the last Bischoff slash Russo return with new sides being drawn. Instead of the new blood versus the millionaires club. Now it's flair's team versus Nash's team. The good guys are Nash page and Rick Steiner. The bad guys are flair animal Steiner Bagwell Luger and Jarrett. It's the perfect opportunity to build some new faces, whether it's awesome or Conan or general Hugh G Rection or O'Hare. Uh, I'll stick them in there with all the big boys. And, uh, that's a little suggestion from Dave Meltzer. Speaking of Mike. Awesome. We haven't talked about him a lot, but he came up in our conversation with Tony Schiavone last week when we had orange Cassidy on, uh, the, the Tony podcast, what happened when, and we talked about Mike awesome and how awesome part the pun he was an FMW and ECW. How'd you feel like he was used in WCW? I mean, you're going to go out and start your own thing. Do you think he could have been better utilized than WCW? Did they miss the boat with him? You know what? It's all perception. What? And I'm look, this goes to the territory days when I had firsthand experience of 
Lawler's booking versus Jerry Jarrett's booking. Um, you get into just the different iterations, depending upon, look, Vince man was the ultimate rider, but who was in his inner circle? Was it Bruce and Pat? Uh, was it, um, Vince and Ed, was it, you know, I'll call it a Brian Gowitz led creative team, Ed Kosky led creative team, uh, just the different iterations. WCW went from Kevin Sullivan and the different eras that kind of go through and then the Russo and then the Bischoff and then just kind of the ins and outs on how that, uh, really affects talent in so many ways. And you look at a guy like Mike awesome. He was another one that came through, uh, Memphis, uh, in the early days, but you know, he had found kind of his groove in his niche and come over from ECW, obviously for the money. Um, but he went from ECW, I believe world champion. And I don't know how many months it took. Um, we'll call it the, the WCW creative process led by Vince Russo to turn him into that seventies guy. And how did that really work out? Well, it, it didn't obviously, but Mike was a, a, a big athletic competitor that was transformed into a character that I don't think Mike felt it was even remotely an extension of his personality. He was playing this part. Uh, for the check, for all intents and purposes, but it just never jived. I, Mike was a great dude, a hard worker. Um, you know, I, I, I think he would have had much better success that how do we make an even bigger an extension of his personality of of the Mike Awesome of ECW? But it, it didn't go that way. The uh, opening segment with all those guys mentioned come out. The heels are doing a mock funeral of Goldberg's career here. And Flair's going to show up as a heel. And um say he was the one who screwed Goldberg. And it wasn't that Animal and Steiner conspired against Flair, but that Flair was in on it. And he explained all that on TV, but never explained why. But he did say it was all part of the long term plan. What do you think of this funeral for Goldberg's career? Were you a fan of this creative? Cause it feels kind of weird. Again, back to WCW creative at the time. Uh, and, and my overall feeling on, and look, there's been, <laughs> there's been funerals. There's been, you know, family get togethers, um, me, Jay lethal and, and crew went down to the farm, the Briscoe farm. Um, at TNA, I, we had a funeral that I thought was super successful, um, on, uh, burying team 3d it, it's all been done, but to do one live in the ring ups, the chances of it falling apart exponentially. If it's done in post-production, you can clip because it's a different cadence. You're shooting a, a television scene with wrestlers that are at varying degrees, different actors, but it, it, this was a real challenge. Um, as you say, sometimes go out of your way to watch it fans. You don't really have to go out of your way to watch this. No, it, it wasn't real good TV. Uh, but it was, an, I'll call it another segment on nitro and thunder. 
The following episode of Thunder, we see Ernest the Cat Miller booked totally buff in a match against Chronic, which they won after you interfered. DDP comes down to help. Flair's going to help book DDP and Jarrett in a fight for the main event. That match goes to a no contest as Nash, Chronic, Miller, Scott Steiner, Luger, Bagwell, and Animal all interfere. My goodness. Interference in every match. I mean, this is just. I guess the story we're trying to tell that it's chaos and it's battle, but it doesn't feel very compelling then now or ever to me. What say you? Yeah. Just the creative and, and either we were doing nitro and thunder, uh, both in the same night or we were about to do uh, again, the vibe and the tension and the unknown just once, once 2001 rolled around and the first pay-per-view and you know, I don't say ironically, but yeah, uh, j- just the, the main event was a disaster. Um, I don't know what the opposite word of momentum is. What is that be kind of read? No momentum. That was, that was WCW. There was just no momentum whatsoever. And the, you know, so now we're a, a year rem- or not, I say a year removed, but six months removed from the bash at the beach and the Hogan lawsuit and, um, or just that, and Vince had at this point come and gone. Russo had come and gone two or three times. Um, the creative team, if you will, just struggled week to week. Um, and then um, there were so many guys on the roster that had really got in, got comfortable with. I'm just going to pick up a check. And at this point, people were saying, I'm just going to pick up a check and be hopeful that some change is coming. I mean, I kind of felt that watching, you know, I, I felt like I would probably be in that same camp, but you know, it's one thing to to think that it's another to hear it. I suppose uh, there's a, a special Tuesday nitro. Cause at this point we're not even bashful about preempting nitro. Nash is going to demand a title shot against Steiner at Super Brawl Revenge, which Flair agrees to as long as Nash can beat Bagwell later that night. Ernest the Cat Miller books a match between Luger and DDP. The winner will referee the Nash and Buff Bagwell match. And uh, he bans Buff and Nash from interfering. Luger wins his match after Jarrett hits DDP with a guitar. So he's going to be the ref for the main event. And Nash wins his match with DDP or his match rather after DDP knocked Luger out and counted the pin with Luger's hand. So you know what happens there? A big brawl in the ring again, uh, in the observer, we would see the recap from thunder Jarrett beat Morris in a solid match ending when wall interfered, choke slamming Morris. They doubled on him until DDP came out of the crowd for the save. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about bill DeMont. General Hugh G. Rections. What was your, what was your working experience like with Bill? I met him the first time down in um, my first WCW run at the Universal Tapings. Bill is a hell of a worker. I'll call him a big guy. I'm not saying he's six six, but he he's 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 definitely not a little guy. But you know, moon salts uh, off the top and and just super athletic. Um, uh, again, Russo and company saw the value and his talent, um, but 
and and look, it's it's coming off the attitude era at that time. Um, I guess in a lot of ways it was, hey, let's try to continue that attitude era or inject some attitude mentality uh, into the WCW product with huge erection is Hugh's name. But, um, you know, that's a comedy name to begin with out of the gate. So, um, again, a tough road for Hugh to, to, to battle from a character development standpoint. The uh, story winds up being a lot of, uh, flair and Nash. It feels like everybody else is just sort of side players at this point. And on the next nitro flair is going to sign Dustin Rhodes to a contract, but he and animal attack Rhodes until dusty comes out to his son's rescue. It's pretty fun. Dusty on TV in 2001, uh, Jarrett and DDP are about to have a match. However, Jarrett wins by count out after the police escort DDP away in handcuffs because he's been, uh, fingered, I guess for assault and battery in the main event, Nash is going to defeat totally buff to get his title shot versus Scott Steiner at super brawl revenge. At this point, did you know where you're going as far as flair and dusty and what your involvement was going to be with all that? Not at all. And for those folks, cause when I was going through the notes, I had, again, one of those things went like totally buff like what that is the tag team of the total package Lex Luger yeah but that slipped me at first the first time I read it in the notes I'm like why don't they anyway so totally buff is um you know Conrad so first time I met Dusty was in the mid 80s it's great American bash but I was a kid he probably had no recollection uh, other than that's the promoter's kid over there whatever it may be little man's kid little man's kid yes that's about it and then I met him at a um, WC or yeah, would it be NWA or WCW, but uh, late eighties uh, kind of time frame uh, house show. And then um, the, the, you know, the, then the next kind of in my mind uh, working uh, in Texas, uh, you know, the, the Von Eric uh, Jarrett promotion, if you will. And uh, Crockett had come by and said, yeah, that's when I, I found out that Dusty, quote unquote, w- would love to get Jeff in in WCW, and my dad said no, uh, without me knowing. But this is the first time I got to work with Dusty. Like he, he was there. Uh, hey, we're going to do this, and man, you know, the charisma just—he's a charmer. No matter where or who he was talking to, the charisma just oozed out. So when he came on the scene, I had no idea where they were going with it, but. I was up for it. Um, again, a guy that my first really taste of the American dream was he was coming in, running opposition, uh, to, to my family's promotion, but damn, this dude's charismatic. And I had seen a little, just a tidbit here and there in my dad's office of Florida tapes and, and dusty was on some of it. It's pretty cool to think that you had this opportunity. I mean, I know you worked with flair back in 96, but to have the idea that you get to work with flair and with dusty here, pretty cool thunder on the 31st. We see Rick Steiner pin Jarrett with, uh, the Steiner driver and, uh, the report from the live crowd to Dave said, quote unquote, said to be sad. I don't think they were talking about your work. Did you feel like Rick Steiner? 
was winding it down at this point in his career. We know not too long after WCW went down, he said, that's enough. Was he ready to just go home and yes. learn a new hold at this point? He was, um, you know, and, and look, as I sit back and reflect on it, him and Eric have always been pretty tight. I think they were probably yes. much tighter back in these days than they are now just because of time. But I felt Rick had, um, checked out mentally and for years um he was in that tag team and scotty would be you know you go back and watch their matches i thought they're they're i don't say they're underrated but the steiner at their peak japan um j just really being a well-old tag team that were unique uh legit brothers and all that were, were really they were fascinating to watch, but this stage of Rick's career, he had to me more than tapped out and trying to get a match, um, together with him. Oh my God. At this, I'm talking about at this stage, very uninspired, ha had no idea, uh, how lack of interest he showed. And it wasn't me personally. He, you know, it was, he, he just, uh, we'll just go out there and do a little bit of this and that, and I'll make a comeback. We'll do whatever the finish. And it was what it was, pal. You know what? Even in these dying days, though, um, wasn't great. But what were our crowds? You got a Google machine over there, Conrad, that, that might have. They're not good. You yeah. know, I mean, you guys are. I'm not going to say it's the worst run, but it certainly feels like it's in there. The early 90s. But it yeah. where it had recently been. Yes. Yes. I mean, we've gone over that. So. Like Super Brawl Revenge, which was in Nashville, did 4,395 fans. So we'll round it up and call it 4,400, which isn't embarrassing. I mean, yeah. it's not it's not yeah. the worst, but yeah. considering yeah. that it used to just be bananas. I mean, you were doing Nitros, say January in Fort Wayne, Indiana. You did uh, 4,836 in the house, 3,555 paid. So it's not that bad. The sin show had 6,600 fans in the house, 4,600 paid. It's not like, yep, you know, 900 you. tickets, you know, you know, cause there were some pretty difficult WCW TV tapings in the early nineties, but respectfully, they had a whole different budget back then. You know what yeah, I mean? Big time. So your costs had just your lever. I mean, you're hemorrhaging cash at this point. Uh, and by the way, I was mistaken. I kind of assumed that Rick only wrestled a year or two after WCW went down. That's not true. My man wrestled 235 more times. You know, he did. Yeah, go ahead. Pretty extensive tour over in Japan with multiple promotions over in Japan. And he worked some for us at TNA. Not yeah. a lot, but some. I, I just always thought that he sort of took a bigger gap in there before he okay. showed up in TNA, but that's not the case. I mean, he was wrestling in 2002. Just never again with Vince, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Uh, the observer is going to recap the February 7th, 2001 episode of thunder flair came out with Bagwell animal Luger Jarrett's and Steiners who are now called the magnificent seven. So this is where they're named officially, I suppose. And the main event was Nash and page over Jarrett and Rick Steiner. Nash is going to power bomb Steiner and the show ends up with another standoff between flair's guys against Nash's guys. I know we've heard a lot about there being quote unquote clicks in wrestling and that sort of thing. Was that very much the case here? 
at the end of uh, WCW in early 2001? Were there big clicks? I think there's always been clicks. I mean, I, I think there always will be at least it's kind of, again, a, a locker room. I recently heard you just kind of hear how the, how the NBA through the years, the, the, the clicks and the groups used to be, you know, teammates and, Celtics Pistons you didn't talk to the other teammate even in uh, I mean the other team even in the offseason and now it's you've got a group of guys that don't play on any teams but they're still buds and this and that but no in wrestling it's always had clicks and buds and all that kind of stuff but again I'm going to go back to the, the 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 last 90 days if you will nobody was really sure and and you you know, I think Bischoff shared s some plans with some of his inner circle, and I think talent-wise, that would have been maybe Rick Steiner, and you may know better than me, but not not many, but the unknown. So there were guys that I guess you could say from a generational standpoint that, you know, the Magnificent Seven, we were all, you know, in, in kind of a group, and, and you just had different groups, if you will. Um, God, when I just got them, it's, it's – it is amazing to watch from 99 to 2001. Has there been a more rapid decline? I don't say decline, but change in, in, I can't think of one uh, the, I guess you could say from hot to not hot. Right. Yeah. And I know music acts, uh, it happens all the time. I mean, it happens more often than you think they're hot one summer and the next summer they hadn't come out with any hits and they they've all been passed by. So it happens, but man, WCW, what a different era we're talking about right here. The following week, you're in the main event of the Valentine's day thunder for the go home show for super Bowl. Uh, the observer would say the main was Jarrett and Rick Steiner over DDP and Rhodes, which included a Scott Steiner run in and Jarrett pinning DDP with the stroke. And the show ended with another huge brawl report is it wasn't overall a good show, but at least those from there who were there live, there was no sign of Nash on thunder. And apparently the selling point of the show is they don't know if Nash will be ready for the pay-per-view or how ready he'll be, which is a strange way to try and hook people into buying a show by telling them the baby face isn't going to be ready for his title match. Boy, when you step back, maybe we were too deep in the forest see the trees but when you step back that is not the best way to sell the pay-per-view was it because of kevin's dates couldn't appear on tv you know that right. I mean the, the, the whole what ifs because i was sitting there going through the notes and thinking like there are so many unanswered questions that man i i'd almost like to uh be in your seat be able to ask eric say hey eric in january and february you had to have had plans on where you hoped it would go. So how did that relate to creative and the, the pieces of the puzzle put, put together and what here, because he was going to blow it all up anyway with the big bang. Yeah. And, and so why wouldn't Nash be, uh, on this episode? He like, wanted like Rob Van Dam on the show and Joey styles to be the voice of the show and Jerry Lawler to be his commentary partner. And, you know, he, he was going to have to go to all the big name talents like the Hogan's and the Nash's and people like that and say, Hey, love to have you can't honor this contract and sort of work the, the WWE angle that they wound up doing. But he felt like 
since it was him and he would offer more creative, whatever, and it was going to be in Las Vegas that maybe it could be Doable. an easier circumstance. Yeah. Well, cause you know, you're, you're eliminate the WWE schedule in 2001, man, they're hotter than ever. So they're, they're doing more towns than ever. So the travel is what would get you. But if you're just flying into Vegas a couple times a month, that's easier. Yeah. It's a different mindset too. Yeah. Completely. Especially the, the, at the stage of where different guys were at in the career. It's interesting to think too, though, that, you know, and you should bust his balls about this sometime because I know I shouldn't say, I know, I believe that he was one of the guys behind the scenes, pushing in TNA saying, we got to get on the road. You know, we, we, we can't just be in this damn soundstage, but when he was going to do it with his own money, he, he was sliding it inside the joint at the hard rock. And it was just going to be a show that we slide the shit out for the set. We do our show and then we push it backstage and other people do other things in this venue. But he was kind of doing the same thing in Vegas. That was the plan anyway. But you know what? The beauty of Memphis TV, we were in a newsroom. Yeah. That, that's where we created all the stories through the years. That's a real blessing because when I look at NXT, um, I look at obviously the TNA experience and, and just kind of look at different, we'll call it venue residency, um, uh, studio, all of that, that, and then, okay, just kind of juxtapose. We're, we're going to be looking at, you know, Sting's last match in Greensboro has great meeting. I think it's the perfect place to have that. I, that's why I think location is very important. It's man. It's the professional wrestling business to a T it, it, it is so subjective Sting's last match. Yes, you need it in a, I, I don't think, so we're going to have 16,000 people. I don't think 16,000 people in Greensboro is having the 16, same 16, you know, 16,000 people in Lubbock, Texas. I think it's very appropriate. That's where we're going. On the other hand, a, a television show, and they just set a record WWE did in, in Utah and rock and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But that creative had nothing to do with Utah. So um, it, it's interesting to hear different opinions, uh, on social media about, oh, you can't do a, 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 a studio and this and that no folks, if you make creative, compelling content, they're going to watch, or they're going to come out and watch your live events and da, 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 da. I don't know. Interesting. It really is interesting. And to hear you say, yeah, Eric was one of the ones pushing in TNA. He absolutely <laughs> Maybe leading the charge. No, I've got to give that to Hogan. Hogan was leading the charge. I think, you know, and listen, I understand why he was doing that, but I just think it's interesting that when it was going to be Eric and his own money, he was like, we're going to do the soundstage thing. Just like you did. Just like you did. Uh, let's talk about what the observer was saying here. The temporary, temporary elimination of Kevin Nash and putting as much heat on the heels in particular, the CEO, Ric Flair is a way to build the new ownership group. When they come in to be the big baby faces was a key piece of business at the Super Brawl pay-per-view on February 19th at the Nashville Municipal Auditorium. Now that is an interesting way to phrase that. The new owners. So did you imagine that we were really turning the volume up with this heel authority figure stuff so Eric Bischoff could come in as a babyface and save the day? Because that is a head-scratcher to me. Now, Eric's natural disposition, like if he had his druthers, 
He'd want to be a heel every time, not the baby face. But context is king. Yeah. The ground laid right and a new, yeah. What was he going to call it? Um, the Big Bang? Yeah. Coming out of that, I think in a lot of ways, he'd been the perfect baby face. Now, I think it would have run its course and he'd need to be flipped back over to being an a antagonist. But but um, for a short term, Eric make a hell of a baby face, in my opinion. Let's uh let's talk a little bit about the the matches here. We got an impromptu match with Canyon and DDP. They go eight minutes and fifteen seconds. And Meltzer would say to explain this, Jeff Jarrett showed a tape where Paige said he'd face Canyon anytime, anywhere. So Jarrett said Flair ordered the match to take place right now. Canyon comes from under the ring, attacks Paige. They have a pretty fun match here. After a ref bump, you're going to uh, hit the stroke on page. Canyon pins him with the flat liner three and a quarter stars. And then we see you work DDP. So you're clearly trying to get him to soften up for you. And whereas Canyon beats him, he beats you eight and a half minutes. The match starts right away. And Meltzer would say both bouts were cut back well in time because the show was running so long. And eventually Jarrett's going to clock page with a chair to the head, but he kicks out. Jarrett goes to hit page with the guitar, but he moves and hits Canyon instead. And then page gives Jarrett a diamond cutter for the pin three and a half stars. Do you remember your time being cut? What do you, what do you remember about super brawl in your backyard there? There was a couple of references during all the notes about our time being cut. I don't remember specifically that on the flip side to that is they could have Maybe Dave got the report. I, I don't know. But but also, in this era of WCW, we had a lot of matches. So not all the matches got a lot of time. They, they just, they didn't. Um, another thing, uh, Conrad, a little inside baseball here. Marcus, will you put up that last guitar shot? You see how many pieces that guitar is in right there? Just yes. completely shattered. That mm -hmm. is a... WCW 101 guitar shot made straight out of Hollywood. Those are the most expensive guitar sh uh, guitars uh, that I ever swung. So that fan account, JJ Greatest Hits on Twitter, check it out, JJ Greatest Hits. It's got every guitar shot, but the WCW guitar shots um, from a visual, and when you put them in slow motion, it's a hell of a shot. <laughs> what... Uh do you recall how much they cost those garages? I mean, those, uh, guitars, I think they were 700 plus shipping. Oh, wow. They were, they were prop. They were made. They were a real deal. Yes. Hollywood yeah. guitars. Yeah, man. I kind of forgot you guys came to Huntsville. I yeah. lived here and I was not here. February 19th, Huntsville, Alabama. Just a show, not terrible, but it lacked in star power. According to the observer, the angles at least made sense to build towards the pay-per-view. It opened with a funeral for the career of Nash, bringing up Goldberg sting and Booker T to build for their return. Else would say, all I know is if I die, I want flair delivering the eulogy. He with a straight face said that Nash was a special kind of athlete who only comes around once in a lifetime, another funeral segment. Yes. Yes. That's Another. in a month. And and listen, I know this is silly and not a lot of people care, but can we throw that graphic back up there again, Marcus of Kevin Nash, where we're memorializing him? 
I just want, listen, this is important. Context is important. And I know this is silly and I, and, and some people will say, yeah, who cares? As a reminder, this show happened in Huntsville, Alabama. And we're looking at a graphic here that says Kevin Nash, RIP, February 18th, 2001, which is also the same date Dale Earnhardt died. That's a little like, I understand. We think we got to have a freaking, uh, I just don't understand why nobody had the foresight to think. Hey guys, you know, there really was a famous person who died yesterday in Daytona, Florida, and we're running a funeral angle with the same date that guy died. Like there's just, I don't know. It feels like that was a, a blind spot in a is major that, way. That the day he, okay. That's the day he died that day. That Sunday. Yeah. He died in the afternoon. The pay-per-view was that evening. But okay. he, he, Do you remember where you were at when you found out Dale passed away? Uh, I remember people talking about it in a gas station. I was not watching. I've never been an NASCAR fan. I wasn't watching, but if you grew up in the South, you knew who Dale Earnhardt was. Oh, there's no doubt. You knew about the black car and you knew about number three and you knew about the intimidator and rubbins racing. And even if you didn't watch the stuff, you knew about it. And people were talking about it at a gas station. And I was like, wait, what? Because you know, even when I saw respectfully, even when I saw the replay, I thought, well, that's not like the one that got the Allison boy. And like, there were so many of these spectacle crashes that, you know, cars are flipping and turning and on fire and exploding. And, and then he ran into the wall and it didn't look nearly as gnarly, but that was enough. So after the show, we went into Logan's, um, South of Nashville and, when we walked in, because we wanted to eat in a hurry, we walked over to the uh, servant at the bar. We walked over there, and I can remember the bartender and, like, everybody in the restaurant. Now, this is, I don't know, 9.30, 10 o'clock, no, whatever the show, you know, so 10 o'clock at night, whatever it may be, it, it, all this. But the, the restaurant was still pretty full, and the bar area was still pretty full, and I don't want to say people were whispering, but it was not your normal crowd. It was so low key. And we were like, wow. I just remember thinking, cause you know, I've been around NASCAR a long, long time and, and knew lots of folks in it. And Dale is the Elvis, the Garth Brooks, the Michael Jackson, Michael, J whatever you want to say, he was the guy. If you to try to put it in the best context, but I mean, it was somber in there. It yeah. was, because, because like you said, the wreck happened and, and, and it was uh quick recap. It was at the, it was the last, it was at the very end of the race, the race finished. It wasn't like in the middle of it. It was all that. So they, they did it, uh, finished the race and, and, and they knew it was bad. And, you know, the, the race went off and, and I remember, uh, cause it was show day, but I still was aware of all that. But by the time we get to Logan's and all that now his death and the reactions begin to come out, obviously pre-social media, but man, Conrad, I'll, I'll, that's why I remember. Okay. Karen gets mad at me if I can't remember to stop by the grocery, but I remember things like this in my career, but it was a very somber, almost eerie feeling in that restaurant and people were glued and listening, 
no music playing, but they were listening to every word on all the different newscasts that Dale had passed away. It was uh wow. And now here you're talking about our wrestling world that we, I, we, I can't believe we did that or they did that, or I was a part of that. Um, but creative's creative. And I guess, uh, the, uh, creative folks were, were not NASCAR fans and had no idea. I don't know. It's amazing to think that we still went forward with this silly funeral idea and a graphic with the same date, but we did, um, now did this air. Yeah. On Thursday of that week, he passed away yeah. on Sunday Yes, and it aired on Thursday. Wow. So, okay. Uh, Jared did a segment where he came out like he was Eddie Murphy and nutty professor with all the fat padding to imitate dusty roads. The idea was good, but the segment was terrible and seemed like it would never end. The crowd didn't know whether to laugh or cry. Jared did a bunch of ridiculous dusty spots on some job guys to take bumps for him. The way the horsemen used to in the eighties, that should have been funny, but for some reason it wasn't Jared just isn't funny, even with good material. Wow. Thanks a lot for that, Dave. I think you're funny. Uh, did you have fun with this? I mean, is this something where you're going to go talk to dusty ahead of time? I'm sure. And say, what do you recommend? What should I do with this? I mean, you want his co-opt on this, right? He gave it its blessing. He was fun. Looking forward to it. Conrad and you know me, I would never just flat out say no, 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 no. But I, I, I went to like, I remember the, all of this, um, I knew it had the biggest chance to just completely flop because I don't do a good dusty. I, I don't do impersonations period. And everybody has their version of a dusty Bruce being, I mean, literally all kinds of folks you would just hear. I mean, Day one, when I got into the business, there's always been dusty impersonations. And I went to Ed Farrar and I said, Ed, I Conrad to really drill into the baseball. Do you remember when me, you and Mr. Silva, and I told him to meet me at a place at the Von Braun civic center, the elephant door, guess where me and Ed Farrar stood right outside the elephant door on TV taping day. And I said, Ed, I don't do a good dusty. Let's kind of, let's figure out how we can arrive at this without me having to do this. Or can I just talk in, in my normal voice? And he's like, no, 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 no. He said, come here. I've, I, I'll, I'll coach you up. So he tried to, he told me how to enunciate certain words and this and that. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And he's like, here's the promo. And Dave saying that it went long. If I, if we, cause Ed cut out, I can't say a half of it, but he definitely cut the promo down. So he's like, okay, we'll, we'll just kind of cut this and out, cut that out. And you just do this part of it and, and go from there. So, uh, Meltzer is, he's never like me. He's going to be highly critical of everything I do. But, uh, I finally remember the execution of it, but the reaction, the people they got with it. Um, do I do a great dusty impersonation? No. But the, the, the point was across and it was the build and everything that went with it. But uh, I had a blast doing it. And if Dusty Rhodes gave it its blessing, uh, I'm all right with it because he, he was he was totally fine with it and, and enjoyed it. You would give one of the guys the shattered dreams. So Dustin comes out for the save. Rick Steiner attacks him. That allows you to clock him with a guitar. You're going to make fun of uh, his dad, steal his move, and then you're in trouble. If you, will. Uh, if you will, the, uh, 
Look at that crowd in the Von Braun. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> Decent little crowd. If you're watching on My World YouTube. You would also go ahead and wrestle Crowbar. Rhodes does a run in there. Palumbo is going to pin Luger clean with an inside cradle. They're trying to make Palumbo and O'Hare baby faces. The uh, main event of Thunder with Scott Steiner beating Hugh Morris. The uh, next week on Nitro, we've got a main event with you over Rhodes with Flair as the referee. And Flair, of course, is playing the total heel ref. But you and Dustin with Rick as the ref. Man, this is... I mean, just think about the history of the, just the names in there. The crowd was dead. The match was boring. According to Dave Meltzer, Flair did all the goofy spots and bumps, but didn't DQ Rhodes anyway. Rhodes kept on beating on Flair and Jarrett, but looked terrible in doing so. At one point, it seems like Flair was a statue waiting forever to Rhodes to nail him so he could bump. The finish would see Flair hit a low blow to set up the stroke in eight minutes and 37 seconds. Boy, I knew that. I guess I knew that Dave didn't like Dustin and he didn't like you, but boy, when y'all wrestle together and he writes two thirds of the write-up is about the referee. I, okay. This is another thing that jarred my brain. I remember having this discussion. Hey guys, do we really want to have this match when the biggest star is the referee? Can we have Rick come down on the end of it? Because that's, the people will get engaged. If they see him out there the whole match, it's it's bad creative, B bad creative. It puts everybody in a checkmate spot, including Rick, because if Rick stands there and doesn't do Rick, the people are like, what are we even doing here? None right. of them are entertaining us. So bad creative. I understood the direction they were trying to get, but we could have got the exact same thing accomplished with a ref bump and then Rick come down and do whatever it's going to you know, however it may be, let him be there for three minutes as opposed to the whole deal. You're back in the fat suit come Monday. There's going to come out with padding to look like he's uh 400 pounds and a mask. It's obvious it was flair okay. because he couldn't help, but do a buddy Roger strut. Jarrett's going to pin him right away. Dustin comes out. They fight until flair is unmasked. Flair, who turned 52 last week, looked really bad taking one bump when nothing even remotely even aimed at him to miss, let alone hit him. Flair and Jarrett did a few chair shots to the back when the real Dusty showed up. And the Rhodes cleaned house, and this time it was Jarrett who took a bump from an elbow that missed by about 18 inches, made worse by the fact that it was then shown in the replay. Rhodes, after all these years, got to call the padded-up Flair fat boy which is what Flair used to taunt him as in the eighties. Flair dressing up like Dusty is not something I ever imagined. I'm sure you had to be thinking to yourself, self, <laughs> what a hell of a way to make a living. I'm out here with Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair is cosplaying as Dusty Rhodes and I'm getting bionic elbowed and they're going to pay me for this. This is crazy stuff. Conrad. When you, when I see that picture, I, I go right back to the flashback. That makeup job was not cheap. No. <laughs> I mean, so that's flying in a whole special effects team to do this. And I get it. I mean, you, we're, we're trying to entertain the folks, but, um, yeah, it was surreal and we were all having a blast when you take out kind of the, the snippets and, and the work day and not get bogged down and the ins and outs and where's this creative going and 
who's winning and who's losing and who's doing this and all that. And you just soaked it all in, which me and Dustin did. Look at the guys. We wouldn't call them old guys, but maybe we did. But look at the guys. They're having a blast. And, you know, the folks, the, the OGs, the Tony Schiavone's of the world, and, and maybe the other backstage folks who had seen Rick and Dusty epic battles and the mid-80s and all that, to see this in 2001 was a lot of fun for a lot of folks. Yeah, listen, it is fun. I mean, it, it feels like something that you shouldn't be saying, but you are. And yeah. um, it's pretty cool. Now, one thing I wanted to know from a performer standpoint, I mean, because even like the next week on Nitro, you're working with Rhodes again. I mean, you and Dustin are working an awful lot. Is that frustrating? Or at this point, is it more of what you were talking about earlier? Hey, man, I'm here to clock in, clock out, and hope for the best. Well, as far as working with the same opponent week in, week out, again, my upbringing was you can work with the same guy week after week after week. What's the new story you're telling? I think that's the essence, in my opinion, of 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 how to work like fresh up matches every week i think there's just there's only so deep you could get from an emotional engagement but the the great feuds if you will through the years dusty rick lawler dundee lawler and a number of folks any territory you went but also i mean hogan savage when you build upon layer upon layer upon layer of 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 talents relationships then coming up with new twists and turns to a match is, is easy. And you know, me and Dustin, what, three weeks, four weeks, I didn't look at it at all that. Oh, as a matter of fact, I enjoyed it because we were telling the story. Uh, in essence, me and Dustin doing the work and Rick and Dusty doing the entertaining. It's pretty wild. You know, I mean, it's, it's clear that the creative is, uh, interesting. But the fans, I mean, as we said, it's around 4,000 fans and you're running nitro and thunder tapings on the same night in the same building, considering where the WWF was when you left in 99 and you take a look and see what they're doing here in 01. Were you second guessing your decision? And we've talked about this, uh, in, in other podcasts. My deal structure coming in, and I made it very clear to to actually J.J. Dillon first, then Bill Bush, and because they are having trouble and guys with limited dates and they can't do this and they can't do that. I And I had just come, obviously, from the, the WWF. I was really clear. Saddle me up, load me up. I want to work as many dates as I possibly can and do all that I can. And so my date was built with an upside I was incentivized to work more dates. By this point, they had essentially cut out almost all house shows. And then when they doubled up uh, Nitro and Thunder, I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Right. Um, and, and it was, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, this is a, a royal screw job to, to my deal. And then on the other hand, I'm thinking, my God, I hope there's new ownership because I was you know, mid thirties at the time, um, physically I could wrestle seven nights a week. I was just 
ready to go and ready to go. I knew I could, I didn't know exactly where I was going to fit in Conrad, but I knew I could figure out some spot in, in, in all of that because I was, I was ready to work. And, and that was DDP loved to work and, and came to work, but there was a lot of dissension and unhappiness and just coming and check cashing and all that. Uh, but did, did I regret? No, because the reason being, and we've gone in super detail on this, I knew, I knew exactly now, look, Vince came in at the 11th hour and all that, but I kind of knew how things were and, you know, I wasn't on JR's team at that time, by not even remotely close. Let's talk about, uh, the main event of the, uh, observer here from the thunder from the 14th of March, the main event is Jarrett and Rick Steiner over DDP and Rhodes building was totally empty at this point. It was a ref bump. Flair did a run in, got bounced around, allowing Jarrett to hit Rhodes with his guitar for the pin. Everyone from the locker room ran out thereby violating the rule and acted to explain the logic of nobody helping DDP on nitro and the heels wound up running off. And now we're here. The final pay-per-view from WCW. Meltzer would say the biggest story backstage involved Luger and Bagwell, who may have greatly hurt whatever slim chances and virtually no chance of being picked up by the WWF, but their reaction to being asked to put over Palumbo and O'Hare. Both complained loudly about it to the point most wrestlers thought they were being babies. And the way they stormed out of the building after the meeting to go to the gym made a lot of people think they weren't going to come back. And you know, I do want to ask Jeff about that, but before I do, I want to remind you that we've got a brand new affiliate partnership with fanatics, the world's largest collection of officially licensed fan gear. It's an easy way to support your favorite podcast shop for your favorite players and teams by using our special URL shopsportsmerch.com. That's shopsportsmerch.com. Or if you're watching along with us over on YouTube, what are you waiting for? Hit that QR code that's up on the screen right now. And, uh, it'll take you right to the website. That's shopsportsmerch.com, or you can check out the, uh, description for today's episode. We'll have the link there, but this is where you can shop for confidence with your favorite jerseys, caps, shirts, jackets, hoodies, everything you enjoy with fanatics. Yes. Everything. Uh, you can actually go ahead and support our show when you buy through shopsportsmerch.com. Same great pricing, same great products. It just helps our show. So if you haven't already check out shopsportsmerch.com and I want to talk to you about saving money over at savewithconrad.com. I'm routinely helping our podcast listeners get out of credit card debt. I just saw a report a couple of weeks ago. America has more credit card debt than ever before over a trillion dollars in credit card debt. And if you're feeling stuck making minimum payments and it feels like you're never going to pay that thing off, we can help at savewithconrad.com. How's this for starters? No house payments for two months. If you haven't already, you won't have to make your March or your April payment. You're done until May 1st. And come May 1st, you're going to have a cheaper monthly payment. And how do we do that? Well, we take a look at your short-term and your long-term goals. If you'd like to uh, pocket that house payment money for a couple of months, check, no problem. Wouldn't it be nice to get rid of that credit card debt and stop paying 28 or 31% or some other crazy amount of interest? Absolutely. Done. No problem. And now we can go ahead and pay the house off faster. That's something maybe you hadn't thought about before, but we're actually helping a lot of our listeners take their 30 year loan and pay it off in half the time. Not only do you get a better interest rate when you reduce the term, 
But if you knock out all the credit card payments you've been paying, you're probably spending it either way. I think, hey man, once you owe it, it's up to you how to pay it back. Doesn't it make sense to greet the greatest tax deduction? See, the interest you pay on a mortgage is tax deductible, but the interest you pay on a credit card is not. Not only that, you know you can do better than 28 or 31% interest, and that's where we come in. We can help you consolidate all of that into one monthly payment. And guys, you don't need perfect credit. I mean it. Even if you had a bankruptcy two years ago, we can still help you. As a matter of fact, we've helped people who were in active bankruptcy. Routinely, we help people who were told no at their bank or credit union. If you're in a mobile home, if you have a credit score in the 500s or the low 600s, or maybe you need a government loan, a lot of these credit unions don't have access to the loans that we do. And there's programs out there, even for first-time homebuyers. We have down payment assistance programs where you can still buy a house with no money down. So what are you waiting for? You've got a friend in the mortgage business. That's me. Drop me an email, conrad at savewithconrad.com, or give me a call toll free at 888-425-0105, or just find out for yourself how much money you can save for free at savewithconrad.com. So Jeff, Lex Luger and Buff Bagwell walking out over refusing to do a, a job to Palumbo and O'Hare. What do you remember of that? Was this a, a big chatter backstage like it's made in the Observer? Well, again, a little fuzzy of memory, but I this is what I do recall thinking, well, hold on a minute. Lex and Buff, and they were uh, both... And heck, I, even for me, I, I wasn't in the right headspace, probably in so many ways. But I thought that they were, we'll say, figured in to new ownership on some level. You know, Lex especially had been the jump and on the first Nitro and and the, and the run that he had had and and everything and looked phenomenal. And I, I but it surprised me. I'm like, really? They're they're not wanting to do a job like I, I didn't, I didn't get, it surprised me. It surprised me. They took a hard stance and then it surprised me how they, um, kind of did the cop out or the just, just how they ended up work, working that it just surprised me. I'm like, really guys, it's a tag. You can figure something out where you can beat yourselves, but well, that's what they wound up doing. I mean, Meltzer would say the match itself was booked for eight minutes. It's supposed to be a hair pinning Luger with the Sean Tan bomb clean in the middle. Instead, after doing a lengthy interview, which was on the script, they went into business for themselves and did a spot where they knocked each other out and laid down for O'Hare to do his move on both of them. And then pin Luger in 54 seconds. This was from the Kevin Nash school of doing a job where if you do it quickly, nobody takes it as seriously as if you lose a hard fault, longer match. Then both oversold the effects of this move for several minutes, including Bagwell trying to spoof his legitimate neck injury by not moving. Both men laid in the ring motionless while people at home were watching a video package, building up the cat versus Canyon match, almost doing a caricature of being paralyzed, which came off to the fans live as a blatant exposure of the business. And then when the cameras were back on Bagwell moved, teasing a reoccurrence of his famous neck injury. Most of the wrestlers and virtually all of the agents were furious. Is this the way you remember it? Them just playing grab ass and people getting pretty pissed off about it. Yeah. I wasn't totally dialed into it, but I knew that they, 
did all the, I'll call it the nonsense. I didn't know the agents were pissed off, but I can only imagine, but it still just kind of surprised me. Um, at this stage that we, we, we knew this was like getting down to something was going to happen on some level. Like nobody could have ever dreamed that overnight WCW just be taken off the air, but we, we knew change was coming. So why upset things, especially in this kind of situation with O'Hare and Jindrak, super athletic, big guys. It wasn't like it was, Doink, <laughs> you know, it, it was, it was bizarre. It is bizarre. Uh, let's talk about the match. And this has to be a special spot in your wrestling career. When you sit down and talk about what a crazy, strange trip it's been for you, dusty and Dustin in a tag team to take on Ric Flair and Jeff Jarrett and Ric Flair's wrestling in street clothes. Oh boy. Can we ask that? Huh, what's that? Well, go ahead. I'll let you get to it. Cause I, I've got, I've, I'll, I'll, sorry. I stepped on top of you. I got comments already, but go ahead. Go ahead. It's your show, baby. You know, the, the biggest letdown was that he didn't wear the robe and all that. Yes. I was, you so, wanted the full flare treatment. Like, I, well, I wanted the full flare dusty treatment. Yes. You know, and and this smug and arrogant, and you know, look at that point. I knew Dusty would be coming out, and in, in pretty much what he came in, that 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 fit him. But I really thought Rick would come out in robe and boots and oh, just everything that went with it. I was so disappointed that he was. I mean, God, he looked like he literally came out of a the accountant's social. Uh, no, he, he looked like he was uh, across the street from the hotel at Bahama breeze, eating some black bean soup in his Hawaiian shirt and slacks and just cruised right over Bingo for bell time. It's unbelievable, but he wrestles this entire match in slacks and a Hawaiian shirt. Tony Schiavone points out as crazy as this is the dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair had never faced each other on a pay-per-view. And I know what you're thinking. Well, no, what about Starcade 84 and 85? That would be correct. But that's before pay-per-view was a thing. Those were closed circuits. Conrad, that photo that's up right now? Yes. You just quickly look. Who's who's Rick look like? David? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, side profile, especially when he's got the haircut like that. That's what I'm saying, the haircut and kind of the outfit. But anyhow, go ahead. Except I, I, I don't, uh, I mean, I hate David Flair's guts. Okay. Stacy Keebler? Come on, man. Piss on him forever. Uh, fans are excited to see Dusty in, uh, especially when he's in there with Flair. Uh, Meltzer would say Flair and Jarrett did their job to make Dusty look good, bumping for all of his spots. He did the elbow drop on Flair, but Jarrett saved. Dustin pinned Flair with one of the sloppiest inside cradles ever. After the match, Dusty pulled down his pants to reveal what could be called briefs, but not in his case. <laughs> and gave Jarrett the Rikishi stink face. And I think this is the same pay-per-view where they had been cutting backstage all day during the show. And we saw him eating a platter of burritos. Well, I mean, you got paid American currency for this. Other people are digging ditches and, 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 and walking tight ropes and 
I mean, there, there's people scaling buildings to clean the windows. And here you are having dusty roads, eat burritos and rub his underwear asshole in your face. And that's, that's what you do for a living. Jeff, you have the most interesting job in the world. My friend, <laughs> where is this Jacksonville? If I remember correctly, I think. Well, you never forget a, a place where you stick your nose where it don't belong. I, I, I say, but the people, um, and look, the, the context of Rikishi and the stink face and the kiss your ass club. I, 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 I wish I knew better context on that, but in the arena, in Jacksonville, you're right. 5,030 fans are there at the Coliseum. The people, I mean, they, they ate it up and, and that's why I, th I thought it was Jacksonville, but it's Florida dusty, super over going yes. back generations. They, they absolutely loved it. I mean, so entertaining and dusty, everything he did when he got in the ring, he had the people eating out of the palm of his hand. It's, it's just, oh boy, I'll sound like such a. No, listen, I, we like that. We like that, that real version of you. I mean, we got to see that a little bit after Rick's last match, you did that interview in the hallway outside of your dressing room at municipal auditorium. And you were emotional about, you know, it was Rick's last match. And I wondered, did you get that same level of emotion after your nose had been all the way up Dusty's asshole <laughs> in Jacksonville, Florida? No, what I was going to say, asshole. No. Um, is that Dusty. physically did so little but it's it's like how do people i say people how do talent nowadays miss the opportunity to figure out how can i emotionally connect with this audience not because they're lazy and don't want to do high spots and don't want to work and i'm not saying any of that i'm talking about take take your relationship which will take your career to another level Take your relationships with the fans and figure out how to connect. Now, Dusty had to do that because he had to draw money because if he didn't draw money, he wouldn't be booked, period, like so many others. But, you know, at this stage, Dusty is way past. I mean, he did the same bionic elbow. He he did all of his stuff, but my gosh, um, had the people eating out of the palm of his hand down to, Hey, I'm going to pour my drawers down, show my big fat ass in enormous red briefs. And I'm going to entertain them this way. Um, it worked classic dusty man. Classic. The next episode okay. is a weird episode because it's March 19th. That's one week prior to the very last nitro. So this is the next to last nitro ever from Gainesville, Florida. Dusty says he's going to eat 33 more burritos. And in Texas, they call it the stink facey. The main event on the show, believe it or not, was flair kissing a donkey with the writing dusty's ass on it. Yep. They beat up Dustin. Dusty makes the save. They beat him up. Dustin saves flair and Jarrett had their faces rubbed into the donkey and kissed it as the show ended. This is the last time you appear on Monday Nitro. We know just a week later during the simulcast, you'll be publicly fired. But the last time we saw you on TV was with Dusty's ass. Kissing a, kissing a donkey. Beautiful, right? Just absolutely beautiful. I, I will say leaving Nitro. Well, I don't want to get too far, but, but you know, we did the pay-per-view 
and now, okay, something's going on. I can remember leaving Nitro because I went to Panama City uh, the Wednesday of this week, and I knew something was up. We all knew something was up. Let me remind everybody, you're doing Nitro and Thunder the same night. So Gainesville was is it? also Thunder. And on that show, Flair would book Dustin against both Scott and Jarrett. Steiner wins with the lead pipe. Booker makes the save. Before the match, Flair was shown laid out in his locker room. But that episode of Thunder, just days before the Panama City show, that's your last WCW appearance, which is pretty crazy to think about. I mean, talk about accomplishing a lot. I mean, from October of 99 through March of 01, literally a ton of stuff happened. I mean, if you just run through everything that happened storyline wise and in your career, but bash at the beach, becoming the world champion, the, the, the reset with Bischoff and, and Russo, the lawsuit with Hogan and Russo and, you know, Bischoff's going to buy it. No, he's not. I mean, what a crazy stretch there. I mean, this gotta be one of the wilder. I mean, what would you think? 18 months of your career. So back up, think about. Yeah. Cause it was about that time. Think about the last 24 uh, that 24 month snapshot. Yeah. From, um, 99. Yes, because that's when the China stuff and the IC champion and um, lack of a better word, Owen passed away in May. So it's end of May. So June, July, June uh, of 99 until um, March 2001. That 22 months, Conrad, was... Because the, the China stuff was just unique and groundbreaking and the character was red hot and, and, you know, the Moolah guitar shot that got so much talk and figure four and Cindy Margolis. And then, you know, just, just kind of that WWF deal and like going to Cleveland and nobody thought even including myself up until the last week, you, you'd kind of jump and. Obviously, I didn't think I was going the wrong way from a promotional standpoint, but it all worked out. But yeah, so the last 20 months or this snapshot of this 20 months was absolutely insane, Conrad. All the different things that went in into it were. I'll say this, Conrad, a boatload of podcast material. There's no way we can cover it all. It's, it's pretty remarkable to think how it all comes to an end too. I mean, you've done everything. I mean, along the way you wrestled with flair and dusty and Jimmy Snuka jumped off the cage on you. You hit Beetlejuice with a guitar. I mean, so much silliness and over the top stuff, but when it's all said and done, it feels like the magnificent seven. It's not finalized. I mean, by the time we get to the last nitro, it's like all, almost all storylines out the window and. Here's one last show, but do you think there could have been a compelling story in here somewhere for the magnificent seven? What would you have liked to have seen the payoff be? Or, I mean, is that even worth discussing? Because it feels like a hundred years ago at this point. It, well, here, here's kind of what I've always, I, I try to like put on the different caps and from a fan, you just laid out who the magnificent seven were. The baby faces, Nash, DDP, Booker. I, I'm, I'm missing a few more, but 
it's 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 very very rem reminiscent of the April of 2000 when Hogan and Bischoff came back and you had you know the 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 new blood versus um the millionaires club or wh whatever it's called so so what was the angle of the magnificent seven i don't think mean you can define that right now yes it was quasi control who had the belts who didn't have the belts but but we came together as a group but what was the mission statement when we're writing this chapter of wcw I think we can talk about who the heels and the babyface were, but what were the stakes? What was the storylines? And 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 where were the payoffs? That that's why in a snapshot, me and Rick kissing Dusty's ass, uh, both uh, his his own ass and a donkey's ass. You know, it jumps off the page as far as entertainment value. But where the hell did that come from in the Magnificent Seven storyline? It didn't. Tyler wants to know, do you feel the Magnificent Seven was too big of a faction? How many members is too many, or does it vary from group to group? That's an interesting question. What say you, Jeff? Oh, timing is everything. And I think when you kind of go back in time and look at the, we'll call it the most successful, you know, NWO, Hall, Nash, um, and Hogan, just those three very easy to conjure up great memories of that success. Once you get past really at, once you started adding and, and no disrespect to anybody, but it started getting watered down to me on the fourth member. Now look, hindsight's 2020, but, but certainly the first three are unique. The original four horsemen. Um, I think with, with the manager, JJ sort of like, yes, really DX. When you think about yep. laws, Waltman, Hunter and then China, there's your five. Yeah. If you count China as part of it. So I, I think, you know, four or five is probably the right number. I, I think any past four is, is really stretching it. I mean, four and a manager. So five. Yeah. You're probably yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Tough. I mean, it just is. Do you, do you consider three a stable or a faction? I mean, like the free birds, is that a faction? I consider it a faction. Yeah, I do. Well, I didn't know, you know, if, if Excalibur's here, he might say that's actually a trios. Um, Francis wants to know, when did you know that WCW was dying as a brand? Was there like one moment where you're like, oh shit, this is really it. This thing's circling the drain. Well, the, the, the progressive disasters of producing non-compelling, I'll call it, you know, bad TV. Um, and not so much the ratings because the ratings from a comparative standpoint were always not great, but above network average. And I think there's, there's a lesson in all of this. The, the ratings are a barometer, but not the only one, the, the live event gates. And we've kind of covered that. I think the, uh, the, the Chapel Hill, North Carolina one that we covered from 12 months to 12 months and how drastically it dropped, but just the decline in attendance merchandise follows. And now there's so many other barometers. So was there any one point when WC that I thought WCW was dead? No, to this day, I don't think anybody and look, uh, dark side of the ring, or maybe there'll be uh, an A and E biography one day, like what really went on behind the scenes, um, was, was the chess match. 
for Jamie Kellner to say, oh, no, we're just going to shut it down. Uh, and we're going to write off the losses. And it's it's game, set, match. And, oh, hey, WWE, he, he, here, here's your library of 20 years or whatever it was for, gosh, Conrad, was it even pennies on the dollar? No, I'm going to say it was less than pennies on the dollar. And it was over. I don't think anybody saw that coming. I, because I, th I think if they would have really tried to um, get some get, I don't think there was ever an exercise that we're going to get top dollar for this brand. We're going to sell it, but we're going to get top dollar. I don't think they ever 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 really went through that exercise because somebody would have certainly paid much more than two or three million. Uh, so up until that decision was made, and, and look, I, I I think that was made. Um, Conrad, do you know from your other podcast? I, I my gut tells me it was made after Gainesville. Yeah, I think the decision was made during the pay per view. I mean, even on the pay per view, you heard a message from uh, from Eric Bischoff. So I think you know we knew what was what was coming, and that brings up an interesting question. Justin wants to know. Do you think some of the guys were perhaps instead of doing things to help the company were instead focused on presenting themselves in a way that WWE may hire them? Like, do you think people were already thinking about the next step? Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's something that, um, gosh, comrade, I just had a thought in my mind because I had it reading the research. Oh, I know. I know D different ins and outs. Um, my dad being an English major and love to write and philosophize and Conrad, I'm sure you're on the other end of some of those phone calls that would go on forever, but he wrote Bob Carter, a thesis. And I swear, I wish I could find this one day. Maybe I will on the mind of a wrestler and, and, and just the ins and outs of the intricacies that it's just different. It's, it's not all athlete. It's, it's not all entertainment. And it's, it's the, the mind of a professional wrestler and all the ins and outs and what go with it. But, you know, at its very core, when you go through the curtain and you're performing, yes, you are performing for the crowd that's in attendance and the millions watching around the world. But there's also, as a part of your DNA, you're performing for an audience of who writes the contract. And in this case, they knew their current contract was soon to end. So they were performing for someone that they hoped would sign them to the next contract. So whether it was going to be the WWE or it was going to be Bischoff's group or another group, or maybe a Japan promotion maybe a Mexican promotion, but yes, the guys that were a part of the roster in that last 90 days or so, I absolutely think they were, they were performing for their next contract and everybody probably had a little bit of a different opinion on who that would be. One last question. Then we'll put a bow on this one. One of our favorite follows on Twitter, Andrew Dice Clay wants to know who would Jeff say had a better roster? WCW in 2001 or TNA in 2006. Ooh. And those are interesting to say the least. I do think we should run through some of the, uh, the names that we would see in WCW 2001 
AJ Styles is on that roster. Alex Wright, Arn Anderson, Animal, Bam Bam Bigelow, Buff Bagwell, Chronic, Booker T, Billy Kidman, Christopher Daniels is there, Billy Kidman, uh, Disco, DDP, Dustin Rhodes, Elix Skipper, Evan Courageous, Ernest Miller, Jamie Noble, Goldberg, Duggan, Jindrak, Storm, Conan, Kid Cash, Kevin Nash, Mike Awesome. I mean, it's a loaded roster and we're not even halfway through it. I mean, Sean O'Hare and Shane Douglas and Ray Mysterio and Ric Flair and the Steiners and Sid and Terry Funk and Lex Luger and Vampiro and Sting. I mean, it is a who's who, but to our man, Andrew's point, TNA no six was hopping too. abyss and AJ styles and Alex Shelley and BG James and Austin Aries and the Dudleys and Christian cage and Chris Saban and Christopher Daniels and so many others, you know, the, the names that you would expect like yourself and Jeff Hardy and Jay lethal and Jerry Lynn, but Kevin Nash is still there, but so are guys like homicide and Kurt angle and Conan and Sabu and sting and Sean Waltman. I mean, it's, it's closer than I thought it might be, but I, as a fan would still give the edge name wise to WCW 2001. What say you? Dice man's great. Hell of a follow. Very intriguing. He is <laughs> a crack up, uh, but he's very good. But the- and, and, uh, Andrew, I hope I'm saying that right. And- Jeff and I send your messages back and forth to each other more often than we can possibly like or retweet them because that would be a bad look if we liked or retweeted them so we will just text it to each other and then just call each other laugh out loud and hang the phone up so solid follow but not one that we can show a lot of love to on this on the twitter machine so, but well, i want to make sure this what's the better roster yeah, 01 WCW or 06 TNA? So obviously, it's subjective. Obviously, I'm going to be partial. I'm a part of both of them. But but when I kind of look, God, like what's the better roster? I bet when you list them all out, there's double the amount of bodies on the uh, WCW roster. So it's it's double. So return on investment, um, and, 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 and again, uh, we're 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 playing some fun wrestling games here because it, it, it's so subjective. But um, you know the 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 coverage that TBS and TNT, Nitro and Thunder, and 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 this era, and and you know even the ratings they were WWE was kicking their ass, but it was still good ratings. You know all so that awareness and exposure, it's easy to kind of lean that way. But I'm still I am partial, but but I think for good reason. Return on investment. I think define characters. Uh, were we perfect at TNA? Hell no. But when you when you added Kurt to that mix and kind of looked at, um, I always like to l- look at a, a roster, someone like a, a great Hollywood blockbuster or a great team. You got to have your leading actors or your MVPs. You got to have your supporting cast. You got to have your legends in the right spot. You got to have your up and comers, and then you got to have and I don't say role players as in it's, 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 it's the opposite of being demeaning. It's guys that know that I am working hypothetically speaking in the semi main event. And my job is to go out there and get this guy over and get him ready 
for the main event. And there could be different guys at different times throughout their career. I thought at TNA at times as challenging as it was because people were fighting and clawing, not just for money for dates because dates turned into money, but everybody really rode in the same direction for the most part. And that is irreplaceable. And people in WCW in this, this era, I mean, if we would have all had a, 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 a or in the water, we wouldn't have just been spinning like a, I mean, we'd never gotten anywhere because nobody was rolling in the same direction at, at any level. So I'm going to go TNA 2006 dice, man. I hope I answered your question. Well, we, uh, we should talk about, uh, do a little tease. I hope we can do it justice because next week you and I are going to be in our fields a little bit because sting is going to be doing his last match next weekend wow. we within striking distance of this thing. It's getting closer and closer and closer. And as you're listening to this next weekend is Sting's last match. And next Wednesday is when Sting is going to do his last set of television as an active wrestler. Both Dynamite and Collision will be filmed here in Huntsville, Alabama. I'll be there. Jeff will be there. We hope you make plans to join us. AEWTIX.com. I know that a lot of the cheap seats sold out right away. I would bet that they continue to open up some spots. So if you look before and they were sold out, take a look again because some production kills will open up and it is going to be a part of wrestling history. You don't want to miss AEWTIX.com. But next Tuesday, right here on my world, just one day before Sting's last dynamite, we're going to be talking all things Sting. We're going to talk about Sting or Steve Borden, as he was known once upon a time, coming into Memphis, eventually making his way over to WCW, spent some time with Jeff there. And then, of course, that entire TNA run. And even though we don't talk about current stuff, we'll talk a little bit about Sting and AEW. I can't believe we're finally here, man. Like It feels like we've been talking about Sting's last match for months, and for it to be 10 days away, talking about Sting next week on the show just makes sense to me. I love doing the podcast and you were right all along dating back four or five years ago. Hey, Jeff, you don't do a podcast. No, Conrad. I, I really don't have any interest in the people on either. But anyway, I'm look. I am so looking forward to it over the last month, CBS sports and bunch of outlets have asked. And I feel honored, uh, when I hear the AWPR team say, Hey man, they, they would really kind of like your comments on sting. You've, you've kind of been with him um, uh, much more than just the AEW run. And as I start getting questions asked and going through things, and I think about the very first territory that he worked was for my father, and I know in that story, the ins and outs of it so well that we'll tell next week, and then the WCW run, and then the TNA run. Um, and, I mean, and then we're going to get up into our, you know, the the – me seeing him for the very first time when we were both in the WWE, you know, he had already had more or less his wrestling run, but he was still making appearances. We did a table for three and we can probably get into that. And then I think how life has happened, Conrad. And, um, I mean, who would have thought in a million years that my very first match, uh, Conrad, next week is going to be a lot of fun. 
It is. It is going to encapsulate a 30 year friendship. Yes, sir. And a 30 year working relationship. I, I didn't want to say rivalry because that sounds like, no, no I, I'm not saying that. It's just we, in our professional life, in our personal life, um, we got a lot of history. We may go a little long next week, Conrad. I'll shut up. Uh, you're going to get on me for giving it away, but I, I, I'm excited about next week. I'm excited about it too. Tell your friends to uh, check us out. We're doing our thing over on YouTube too. Be sure to hit the uh, subscribe button and turn the notifications bell on. We're going to be going live in the new year early and often, and you don't want to miss it. That's myworldonyoutube.com. You can also advertise very affordably on our program. You hear some of the same ads week in, week out, and that's because it really works. If you're looking for dudes 25 to 54, we got them. Find out how affordable it can be for you at advertisewithcherit.com. And if you've got a question for the stinger, you want to know what Jeff thinks about surfer sting or crow sting or joker sting or any stings in between, next week is all things sting at myworldpod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Love to have your interactions and your questions there. Got some great new swag and merch out available as well over at boxagimmicks.com. Jeff, I never know what to expect when we sit down and click record, but talking about the bad years of WCW makes me smile every time. <laughs> it's it, I, This sounds maybe a little ponkless, but there's a lot of... I'm not saying it's good history. There, but there is history. <laughs> well, in the context of the industry, um, it's there's a lot of history there. I mean, there, there really, really is. And so, uh, it, it, it makes me chuckle, you know, the American dream, if you will, in Huntsville, that segment stands out to me. One of my favorite personally, because I mean, it challenged me. Did I do great? I don't know about that, but it's still, it, it's, it's, it was one of those segments that I went, all right, that was fun. By the way, that is a real look at Jeff Jarrett in 2022 when he was eating at G's Country Kitchen. <laughs> in Huntsville. It's a meet and three here in Huntsville that I absolutely love and highly recommend if you ever find yourself in North Huntsville. Go to Oakwood, G's Country Kitchen. Tell the owner, Maurice, we said hello. But can, uh, can Jeff, I, yep. Instead of calling it a meet and three, when me and you go there, do they call it meets and five meets and six and meet meets and multiples? That's it. Meets and multiples is when Connie and Jeff go in there. Meets and multiples. Seriously. Normally what it is, is you tell her the lovely wait staff there, do you want dark meat or white meat? And if you pick white meat, they give you a breast and a wing. I switch mine up and I say, I don't want the wing. Give me two breasts. And they know that. So Jeff was like, oh, you can do that. So the lady's got her pad. Let's see if I can get a napkin here. She's got her pad ready to go. Okay, baby. Now, what did you want? And Jeff goes, two breasts, two wings, two thighs, two legs. And she says, damn, you just want the whole chicken? Yes, ma'am, I do. So that photo of you, the dweem, you know what? Let's go ahead and throw a shirt up now. We're going to have a shirt available this week. Boxagimmicks.com. The American dweem. And we might even Photoshop a caricature of your face on the KFC logo or something. We're going to have fun with this, but that's a real look. That's a real story. If you ever have a chance to eat a meal with Jeff Jarrett, do it. When he was in town doing media a few weeks ago, I jumped at the chance and I told the waitress, I said, we're going to have four place settings, but one guy's going to eat for three. 
<laughs> and she was shocked it wasn't me or Cassio. It was the oh, Enshade guy. Goodness gracious. All right, boys and girls, that'll do it. We are finished talking about WCW in 2001. We'll never finish talking about Sting. We're going to try our best to do the man justice next week. If you haven't already, try to make plans to join us in Huntsville. It's going to be a celebration, AEWTIX.com. And of course, the waterworks are going to be there for everybody in Greensboro just a few days later. Handful of tickets remain. They're going to open up some more production kills. I just have that feeling in my bones. But if you can't be there, like I won't be able to be there, I'm not going to miss it on pay-per-view and you shouldn't either revolution coming sooner rather than later. But first next week it's sting, or I'm sorry, as Tony would say, it's sting right here on my world. Peace. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.